I'm really mindful that over these past couple of weeks, we've had a number of baptisms. Uh, just on camp alone, and it's like almost like they waited until we left to have like just this flurry of baptisms, but we had to leave on Friday to, to start our trip. Uh, we came back here on, on Friday evening, we spent the night, and then we, my family and I, we took off Atlanta on Saturday. But lo and behold, on that Friday evening, there were like seven or eight baptisms. I was like, what? What's going on? So, so, so needless to say, we had, I think, a number uh, in all now, it would have been maybe 14 or 15 baptisms in the space of like uh, 8 to 10 days. But even going further back than that, we've been having just baptism after baptism after baptism. Uh, we've had a number of baptisms these past few months, even with all that's been happening in the midst of COVID. And so being mindful of that, I really wanted to try and share a message, particularly as our kids are getting ready to go back into school and as we are getting ready to, to come out of this summertime that we are in, I really gave some thought into over these next couple of Sundays to really speak some messages, uh, hopefully, that would uh, be able to encourage, to build up, and to motivate certainly these these new converts, these new Christians that we uh, would have been blessed with. And so I'm mindful as I, I preach some of this this morning, uh, it's not new learning for many of us. It might be a good reminder, but I definitely want this to be something of use to those who have recently put on uh, Jesus by means of baptism. So I've entitled our brief exhortation for this morning, The Danger the danger in looking back. Before I actually begin, like, really getting in and get moving into the text, I just want to uh, just share some things I've written down that is really going to help, I think, build a good foundation for us to work off of as we get into our text. And if you're mindful, our text this morning is actually in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 all the way through verses 62. So feel free to open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. In our text this morning, Jesus is recorded as making a statement regarding those who are fit or more appropriately well-fitted for the kingdom. The word fit there is not meant to be some type of yardstick to push people away from the kingdom, but rather it is meant to show the standard and the cost of the call to kingdom living. To put it differently, there is a cost, a cost <laughs> that comes with being a disciple of Jesus. And every single candidate should be aware of what's expected as well as what is at stake. When we today use the word worthy, or we even think of what it conveys, we almost always use it in a way that refers to being entitled to a particular thing. It's a word we have struggled with, especially when faced with the reality of the life Christ has and is calling us to live and to lead. Number one, if we think about uh, those who recognize the life they have been called to live, sometimes they recognize that it is contrary in nature to what Christ calls all of us to be a part of. Therefore, recognizing our disparity at times leads individuals to think that they are not worthy of following Christ until they fix themselves. And there is a sense in which this is seen as noble. However, those sentiments usually mask other things that are actually going on or actually taking place. Things like a lack of conviction, a, a lack of belief, a lack of confidence, a, a lack of a support system, a, a lack of knowledge, even a lack of clarity. And, and sometimes it's just a lack of willingness to submit wholeheartedly to God's will and his way. So the way we view ourselves at times as 
unworthy often hinders us from submitting to Jesus right there in the moment and right now. That is to say, sometimes as we think ourselves as not being worthy, we don't accept the gospel call in the moment that we would have received it. But number two, we also have these individuals who have given their life to Jesus, and in giving their life to Jesus, they often find themselves falling prey once more to sin. Even in these cases, people think that they are not worthy, so they give up and they give in once more to sin. And in many cases, people walk away from God, all because there is guilt that takes over and distorts the reality of their and many others' situations. In the first instance, in the first example, if we could have been worthy on our own and could have fixed our sin problem for ourselves, we would not have had need of Jesus. And in the second case, being a Christian doesn't absolve us from committing sin. It only means that we have been blessed with the ability and power to overcome sin and to have our sins washed away. Paul, as he writes to the brethren in Rome, he, he speaks about the grace that we as believers have in Jesus Christ, that, that the grace of God covers us from our sin, but he would go on in verse number one of chapter number six to say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, not because we have grace that covers us from our sin needs, needs to be or means that we have a license to continue living in sin. So in the first instance, when we think about the reality of how we think and how we view what it means to be worthy, many people don't come to Christ because they think that they need to get themselves right first before they could approach Christ. But in another case, in the second instance, we have individuals who have given their lives to Jesus, and as a result of going back and forth in a life of sin, they give up and they give in because they think that they are not worthy to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ. It does not matter how good you are or how uh, righteous you are. Our righteousness equates in the eyes of God as filthy rags. Being a good person morally doesn't make one worthy. There are numerous good people out there who, have, who are not followers of Jesus. And, and so just being a good person doesn't mean that you or I would find ourselves as even being worthy to begin with. The truth is none of us by ourselves are accounted as worthy. None of us are worthy but for the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. None of us are worthy but for the love, grace, and mercy of Jehovah God. None of us are worthy but for the transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are holy because God is holy. We are righteous because we are covered in his righteousness, not our righteousness. We have been made worthy because we are covered by the Lamb that, that John the Revelator recorded is worthy and we have submitted ourselves in bearing his image. That is the image of Christ. I'm trying to help us to recognize that as we think about what it means to be worthy, we are only worthy because of Jesus. Therefore, let's understand this, that no one coming to Jesus is actually worthy, but Jesus is the one who makes us worthy. You guys with me? So what exactly does Jesus mean in his statement concerning those who are not fit for the kingdom. Well, there is a background and a backdrop to our text that we find or that was read in Luke chapter number 9 and verse number 62. In Luke chapter 9 and verse number 62, you would have heard the reading state, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. 
So it's not that Jesus is making some type of prerequisite in order for us to approach him or in, in order for us to think about coming to the kingdom. It's, it's not that you have to be worthy in order to come to Jesus. The truth is, I hope I've already established that none of us are worthy. Paul would conclude all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. So there is no one person on the face of the earth that was ever worthy to come to Jesus to begin with. But Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll make you worthy. If you come to me, I'll make you holy. If you come to me, I'll make you whole. If you come to me, I'll put you in a right relationship with Almighty God. So there is no such thing as a good person. No, no amount of goodness would have made us worthy. No amount of sin would make us unworthy to come to Jesus. So when Jesus speaks here about this person who is fit, he is not saying that people who are laden with sin aren't fit or well-suited to come to him, but rather he is speaking here in context to those individuals who have already embraced his life, his call, and his ministry. In context here, Jesus is actually having a threefold uh, discussion with three different, apparently, uh, subjects who we would call maybe even disciples. And so in the first instance, if you look down at verses 57 and 58, and now it happened as they journeyed on the road that some said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. He would respond in verse number 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds, have the, uh, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's number one. In the second instance, in verses 59 and 60, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus would say to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. That's number two. But then in number three, this, this third instance, this third conversation, reading from verse number 61, another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but first... Let me go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. Verse 62, Jesus would say, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for, for the kingdom. So Jesus, as he makes this statement, is, is not so much talking about individuals being worthy or unworthy to come to him, but the word fit there is, is really a, a, a reference to being more well suited to. In other words, he is not talking about the individual in as much as he is talking about the work. He is not so much talking about uh, what your struggle might be in as much as he is trying to direct individuals to the way in which they are supposed to be profitable in this walk that he has called them to. So he is, he, is, he is trying to relate to them, I know by yourselves you are not worthy, but even though you are not worthy by yourself, you become worthy by attaching yourself to me, but you continue to find yourself worthy in this walk if you walk the proper way. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. We are living in a time, an age, and a space where everybody thinks their way is a right way. But Jesus is trying to help some folks here to understand that if you have to be pleasing in the sight of God, there is a way that you need to walk. He's trying to help some folks understand that it, it's not your way, it's not this way and that way. If you have to be successful as a child of God, you have to do things the way that God said for you to do things. So in other words, as he uses this analogy, this is, this is, this is something that they would have been well familiar with, this idea of, of plowing. And I, I need for us to appreciate the imagery so that we can understand the implication. Is that all right? And so he, he says, no man having put his hand to the plow. So in other words, your, your hand is on it. You, you haven't removed your hand. This is not somebody who is far removed from the work. This is not somebody who is far from, removed from the way. He says, your, your hand is on the plow. He says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is well suited for the kingdom. In other words, in order to accomplish the goal and the task and the objective of the mission of Christ, you have to walk the way that he prescribed for you to walk. So he says there is a, there is a danger in looking back. 
You are not supposed to look back if you are to accomplish the goal of mission life. If you and I are to be Christians well-pleasing in the sight of God, we can't afford to be doing this Christian thing according to our own will and our own way. If you and I are to be pleasing in the sight of God, it's not about following the masses. It's, it's not even as we would, we, we would say growing up, you know, few, there be that find, it's not even about trying to find ourselves among the few. It's, it's not about trying to find favor or, or find our space in particular cliques and groups. No, no, no. If you and I have to be pleasing in the sight of God, we need to find ourselves busy doing the things that God has called us to do in the way that he has called us to do it. So here it is, he says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. So I want to look at some practical things really quickly and hope that we get this brief exhortation. So when it is you have designed to come to Jesus, there are many ways in which the Bible describes this journey or this calling. Sometimes it's described as a walk. So Paul will say, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. Sometimes it is described as a journey where you're going from one place to the next. Sometimes it's described as, in war terms, in soldier terms, as a war. You are fighting a war and a battle and a fight. Sometimes he equates it in, in athletic terms as being a race. You are part of a race. But in this instance, Jesus uses this analogy of a man who is plowing in the field. And I need for us to understand and appreciate the practicality of, of what's going to happen here and why he uses this and why this imagery is so pertinent. For them, it's because there is a practicality to doing things the way that Jesus prescribed. Watch this. He says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. The term there, fit or well fitted for or well suited to, is trying to take a square peg, if you could imagine this, and get it into a round hole. Or vice versa. In other words, you can't get it in there if the shape doesn't suit the outline of that which you're trying to get it in. So if you have a, a square peg or a round peg, it all depends, right? But whatever the peg is, if, if the, peg, the shape of the peg is not suited to fit or to go into that specific hole, then it won't go. So you can't take a triangular shape type peg and pong it into the wrong hole. You, you can't take a, a square peg and try to get it into the wrong hole. No, 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 that's not well suited. So, so the idea of being well suited is the person who puts his hand on in order for them to find themselves well fitted for the task of ministry and kingdom living, they can't afford to be looking back. And so there is this attribute that Jesus speaks to that is not profitable, that, profitable, that is looking back. But we have to first appreciate what is he actually saying when he says, and looking back. Because if we understand what he means by looking back, that will help us to understand the implication of fully of what he's saying. Looking back here, number one, let me, let me deal with looking back is not, what he's not talking about when he says looking back. Looking back here does not mean you, that, that a person or persons ought not to know their history and their past. There are numerous times in scripture where, where God rehearses time and time and time the history of the Israelite people specifically, he would remind them of their faithlessness while one generation was wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. This would be repeated over and over and over. The prophets would talk about it and, and it would happen over and over where God would remind the people over and over and over again about their faithlessness in years gone by. So when he says look back, it's not that he is saying you can't, you can't remind yourselves or you can't look into your history and into your past. Jesus would come on the scene and, and Jesus would illuminate some more the, the history and the background of a faithless generation. Then enters Paul and you see Paul do it from a, 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 a historical standpoint concerning the Jews. But also Paul would often, re, would often reference his very own past. 
in the book of Luke alone, yeah, we have Paul re- rehashing his past three times. Then in his epistles, you, you see him talking about his past over and over and over again. He would say to Timothy, for example, that I was a persecutor. I was injurious and I, I, I did all of these things as a blasphemer, but I did it not knowing what I was doing. So when we say looking back, we are not saying that a person ought to forget where they came from. When we, and Jesus says, uh, someone who puts his hand to the plow and, and looking back, he is not saying that, that, that knowing your history and knowing your past is something negative or something bad. He is not saying, forget your history, forget your past. What he is saying is we ought not to be individuals who are living in the past, but rather when you look to the past, you look to the past so that you could learn. So Paul would say in the book of Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. So, so the issue of looking back is not one where we forget where we came from, forget what we have done, for, forget what we have been. It's, it's not a matter of, of, of us not being able to look back and learn from some stuff that we did some years ago, but it's, it's, it's the idea of not living in the past. Paul would conclude, uh, as, as he's writing to the brethren in Philippi, he, he would say this, if you read Philippians chapter number 3, he, he, he would say something like this, not as though I have already apprehended, but, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to that which is before, he says, I press towards the mark of the high calling in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, what is it in your past that you, you want to forget, Paul? I, I, I want to forget some of the guilt that's there because if I live in the guilt, then I won't be prosperous right now in the present. If, if I live in the shame, I did some shameful things back in those days, not too far removed. I did some shameful things, but if I live in shame, I won't be profitable to anybody, including God in the present. I did some good things in the past, and if I dwell on those, good things, I might become full with pride, and so I want to forget those things, because if I live in the past, I find myself living in shame. If I live in the past, I find myself living in guilt. If I live in the past, I find myself living in pride, and I don't want to live in the past. I need to live in the present as I press towards the future. Sometimes we have people who are struggling with guilt in 2021 of things that were done when they, when they were young. You're old and gray now, but you're still struggling with things you did as a teenager. That's, that's guilt and that's shame. You're living in the past. But then also we have individuals who, who've done good things and, and they've labored for the Lord. And so all they do is they, 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 they look back to the past. Oh, you, you remember when I did this 20 years ago? Yeah, that was 20 years ago. You did good work 20 years ago. You did good work last week. But doing good work in the past is not a means for you to say, well, I'm going to be done from here on out because I have a track record of the good works I have done. Don't live in the past because in the past there is pride. Don't live in the past because in the past there is shame. Don't live in the past because in the past there is guilt. We need to learn from the past but not live in it. So Jesus is saying no man having put his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom. Why? And looking back, sorry, is fit for the kingdom because if you are the person that's living in your past, you don't have the ability or the capacity to be fruitful in the present and you won't make it to your journey's end, which is something futuristic. You guys with me? I'm almost done. Look at this. No, I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I, I, I said I'm almost done once. I'm, I'm counting it. I mean it. And, and to prove how much I mean it, I'm closing my iPad. I, I just really wanted this to be as practical, as practical as it possibly could. So watch this. So there is a practicality to this idea of keeping your hands on the plow and keeping your eyes straight. Because if I try to do this job of plowing this field, if I try to walk this Christian walk 
and be a good follower of Jesus Christ. If I do it in a way that makes sense, then even though it's, it's difficult at times, and I may struggle at times, things may not always go the way I planned or hoped at times. Sometimes you might even have to stop because the animal is injured or tired. Sometimes you might have to stop because you need a break and a sip of water. But the point is, if I, if I do it the way that he told me to do it, looking forward, then when the time comes for me to actually turn around and see just how good a job I've been doing, I could glimpse back and realize I'm, I'm not doing that bad. The, the line mightn't be as straight as I would like it to be, but it's not too crooked. And so the idea of and the practicality of looking forward says that in looking forward, you are able to be focused on a particular goal or a particular task at hand. And so if you're looking forward and you have a focus ahead of you, it's not that you, you're not concerned with the things that are behind you, but your focus is so fixed on that which is ahead of you that nothing that is behind you or nothing that is around you has the ability to deter you from where you're setting your foot to. So here it is, we, we think about the reality of what Jesus is saying, and I want us to see these three things and I'll be done. Number one, when we think about the danger of looking back, I want us to appreciate this. If a person who is on a plow looking back constantly, if not all the time, is not going to do a good job at what he or she is doing. The job is to get these rows nice and straight. That's what you do when you're, when you're plowing a field and you're preparing a bed. You're trying to get these rows nice and straight. So there's a way that you need to accomplish this. And the only way that you're going to accomplish this is by keeping your eyes fixated in the front of you. But not just in the front of you. And I want to illustrate this. Uh, Andrew, you mind coming for a second? Quick, bro. Stand on the other side of that, that, that stage for me. All right? Yeah, Thomas. <laughs> I want to make this as practical as I can, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a trust exercise. A trust exercise. No, 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 no. Not that, <laughs> not, not that, not that one. Not that one, Thomas. Come on, come on. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that, that this is the, the full implication of, of what Jesus is saying. Obviously, they would have had to keep their eyes open, but I want you to see this. I'm going to do a trust exercise. Paul says we don't walk by sight, but we walk by what? Faith, right? Watch this. I want you to close your eyes, Thomas. Just close your eyes, right? Is it closed? Was Andrew directly in front of you? Yes, he was. He was, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just walk to Andrew, and I'll direct you. <laughs> Take one slight step to your right. One, just one little step. Go on. One more step to your right. All right, go on. Uh, turn to your right, Thomas. Turn to your right. Okay, go forward. Turn to your right, turn to your right. Turn to your right, turn to your right. Go forward. <laughs> now here's what I want you to do. Start at Andrew. But turn facing Andrew. Right? And walk backward to meet me. Don't, 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 don't turn around. Just walk backward to meet me. No, no, no. Keep your eyes open. Make sure you come straight to me. Yeah, you won't make it. <laughs> Last one, right? Last one. Last one. So... So your goal is you want to maintain a straight line 
between Andrew and I, right? Mm -hmm. But I want you to turn around and be watching me while you're walking towards, An towards Andrew. Yeah, so you're going to have to turn, bro. Yeah. Okay. 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 Right? You're there, right? You guys with me? I promise you, I'm almost done. Do the exact same thing. Looking at him this time. Coming to me. Thank you, bro. I'm going to do this. Thank you, bro. I'm going to do this really quickly. I'm going to do this really quickly. Let me show you the implication of that. It's a faith thing at times to where sometimes you don't know where you're going, but all you have to do is just follow the voice, right? It's the same thing sometimes with, with Christianity where we don't always know where we're going or how we're going to get there, so to speak, because we've never done it before. But all we're doing is following the voice of God. That's all we're doing. We're, we're following scripture. We're trying to do the best that we can, and we're just listening to Jesus. We're not, we're not concerned with all of these other voices. We're just listening to Jesus. You notice in the first illustration, when he walked, even though his eyes was closed, he was following instructions. And even though he needed some, some course corrections. You notice that? He was, getting good, he was getting good instructions. Go straight, he was going straight, and all of a sudden... He started to drift to the left. But he was going good all, all along. He, there, was nothing, there was nothing between him and his, and his object the first time. He just started to, to veer a little bit. Because with your eyes closed, if you're not getting instructions, chances are you will go astray. But every now and then, we have the voice of Jesus that's telling us it's time to correct course. Time to correct course, correct course. He made it. But do you notice that in the instance where he was looking at me, or looking at Andrew trying to make his way between Andrew and I, I mean, I, I literally put this here for a reason, right? Because if he was literally looking ahead of where he was supposed to be going, even though there was a bump in the road, even though there was a boulder, even though there was something that could have been a detriment to himself, the animal, or anyone else around, he would have been able to see and to avoid. So there's a practicality to keeping your eyes open, there's a practicality to be doing this thing in faith, but there's also a practicality to not looking back, especially if it is you know where you're supposed to be, where your eyes are supposed to be is ahead. So number one, I want us to see this. I'm telling you, I want us to see this. Number one, the danger in looking back, number one, is that we won't be able to accomplish the goal and the objective set for us by the one who has called us. That's number one. Number two, the danger in looking back is also seen is that we could become a detriment and a destruction to ourselves and those who are around us and partner with us. If the person who is steering the cattle or the oxen or whatever isn't mindful of what's in front of them, they might be liable to just go into anything and to injure themselves. But not only would they injure themselves, he or she also becomes a detriment to themselves as well. If you're not careful of what you're doing as a Christian, if you're, if you're so mindful about everything else around and you're not fixated on the author and finisher of your faith, which is Jesus Christ, we could become a stumbling block and we could create mediums of destruction for the people that we are trying to help. Hmm. I'm, 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 really trying my best. I'm really trying my best to make this applicable as possible. Sometimes we find ourselves focused so much on all sorts of stuff that we engage in those things to the detriment of the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives. Let me show you what I mean. Could I be real for like two seconds? Could I, could I be real for like two seconds? Older folks, could I be real for like two seconds? All right, because if I get the, if I get the approval of the older folks, then I, I, I'm good with the younger ones anyway. Repeat after me. The more we sweat in peacetime, the less we bleed in war. One more time. The more we sweat in peacetime, 
the less we bleed in war. Let me prepare us beforehand before wartime comes. Almost every single time around election time, there's a pulling and a tugging and a warring and a fighting that's taking place. It's one group against another. And Christian gets in, gets in, Christians get involved in that stuff. But the problem is when Christian get, Christians get super involved in that, that we begin to use language that the people that we support use. So you would often hear people, could I be real for two seconds? Older folks, could I be real for two seconds? Younger folks, you won't mind me being real for a few, a few seconds? So you would hear things being said from both parties. If, if you are from the Democratic Party, you would probably hear statements like, the Republicans are racist. So they conclude every single Republican is what? All right, there we go. We've been real for a second. But then if you are a Republican, you would hear people make statements like, if you are a Christian or a real Christian, you can't be a Democrat. Because every Democrat is a communist leftist. We, we hear that, right? We, we hear those, those thoughts and those sentiments being, being, being used by individuals on both sides. Let me show you what I mean, right? But then you have Christians that would purport sentiments from both sides. So now as you have somebody who is a democratic Christian upholding those type of sentiments towards Republicans, do you not know that you have Republicans, Christians too? So if you make the statement or the claim that, that every Republican is racist, that what you're saying are those Christians who support the Republican Party are by definition what? Racist. So now you've created a barrier between you and potential brethren, or even worse, you've created a separation between you and individuals who you are supposed to be, who you are supposed to be ministering to. Let me flip the script. If you are a Republican Christian, and you are spewing things like no self-respecting uh, true disciple of Jesus Christ could ever be a Democrat because you are a, a communist, Marxist, or whatever, a leftist, right? If you are spewing that, as, if we are spewing that as the church, then do you not recognize that we have members of the body of Christ who are a part of the Democratic Party? Do you not recognize that there are people and potential, uh, uh, potential individuals out there who we are to be ministering to that are members of the, Republic, the, the Democratic Party? So I'm saying, when we find ourselves so, so entwined in the things of this world and we, we, we connect with those things more than the objective that is at hand, we could limit our ability to minister to the people we are supposed to be ministering to. So when Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, yeah, we have Christians who are here and we Christians, we have engaged in all these other things. We are looking into the world. We are holding on to the world and we're not performing the task we are supposed to be performing because we are looking back and we are holding on to. So if we are not careful, our looking back it's not only going to be a detriment to ourselves, our looking back is not only going to be a detriment to people who we are partnering with, but our looking back is we are creating a detriment and we are becoming a detriment even to the people we are supposed to be ministering to. Church, you with me? Are you guys okay? Finally, and I'm done. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. I'm finished. Sometimes we just need to learn to follow, period. I know we are people that love explanation for everything. Well, why? 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 Sometimes we just need to learn to do it because God said, do it. Sometimes, hopefully, not, not very often, 
But sometimes you, you and I would find ourselves in a position where we don't have time to explain the intricacies of the command that was given. If I'm walking with my family and I see impending danger, a huge dog running, coming around the bend, and I say to my wife and children, run. The reason I'm telling them run is because destruction <laughs> is around the corner with this pit bull salivating coming our way. But if they stand up to ask me the questions, well, why? Why run? How fast do we need to run? And why do we need to run at this particular point in time? Well, okay, you want to stand up and talk about that while danger is upon us? Okay, fine. You talk to the danger. I'll be on the run. <laughs> Sometimes we need to learn to just do a thing because God said so. Say, because God said so. Let me show you the implication of this. And I, I know there was a reason as well that was given, but notice in, 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 in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 with the Sodom and Gomorrah account, we know of this, right? And so again, I want to make this absolutely clear. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because individuals were, were engaging in same-sex relations. All right? I, I know that was kind of like one of the, the driving forces. That was one of the examples given. But Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because people were engaging that. This place was laden with sin. That was just one of the sins that was identified. You guys with me? So it was not, contrary to what you have heard, contrary to popular belief, Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because people were, were, were practicing same-sex type of things. It was one of many sins that this, these cities engaged in. But notice this. When the, 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 the reality of destruction was upon them, remember what the angel said. Take your family, leave this place, you guys run for the hills, do not look back. You remember that? Don't look back. Say don't look back. Don't look back. They were so engrossed a little bit with what was still happening in the city that when the time came, when the appropriate time came, the angels had to run and grab Grab Lot and his wife and, and his, his daughters, and they had to grab them by the hand and start running out with them. While running out with them, Mrs. Lot decided to look back. And what happened? Pillar of salt. Sometimes the reason to not look back is simply because Jesus said, don't do it. You with me? Sometimes the reason not to look back is simply because Jesus said what? Don't do it. Sometimes the reason to look, not look back is simply because Jesus said what? Don't do it. Don't do it. If you want to lead, the best way to lead is by knowing how to follow. And if we have to lead people to Jesus Christ, we as Christians need to learn what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm done. So the danger in looking back says you won't do right by the one who has called you. The danger in looking back says you could be a detriment to everyone and everything around you. And the danger in looking back is simply that you are going to disobey the very will and the command of the God that has called you. Repeat after me and we're done. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back. Could I see the hands of all of those who have been baptized this past year? I'm going to ask you to make your way forward. I'm going to ask our elders to make their way down. Every single person, not just these past couple of weeks, but every single person that has been baptized this past year, I want to ask you to come down. Make your way down. I want to ask our elders to also make their way down to the front. Every single person that has been baptized this year, I want to ask you to make your way to the front. If you have lost a loved one this past year, I want to ask you to make your way to the front as well. If you've lost a loved one this past year, I want you to make your way to the front. 
if you've been struggling with something, it doesn't have to be a sin thing, but you've been struggling in your walk as a Christian, I want you to make your way down to the front. If you think that you could do better as a Christian, I want you to make your way down to the front. And I want you where you are to hold somebody's hand. I know we're in COVID, so if, 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 if it's all up to you, right? Just hold somebody's hand. Thomas is going to lead us in a song. It's going to be sung very softly. And while Thomas leads us in that song, I want you to be thinking about just how good God has been to you. I want you, as you think about the message this morning, to recognize that for some of you, you've been struggling with shame. Some of us have been struggling with guilt. Some of us have just been downright struggling. Some of us are filled with pride because of the things we've been, we've been doing for the Lord for all these years, and God knows I'm a good person. But I want us to understand this. When, when we live today and here on out, don't allow guilt, shame, and pride and anything else to deter you from being fixated on the author and finisher of your faith. Yeah. To the young Christians in the midst, you guys will, will fall. You guys will sin. You guys will struggle. But God is there to pick you up. To the older Christians in the midst, you're, you're, you're almost there. <laughs> There's no telling how much time you have on this earth or no telling when Christ would return. But the point is you've been doing it for 30, 40 plus years. Don't give up now. There's still work to be done. It doesn't matter whether you're gray or, you're, or your hair is black. There's always work to be done as long as there's breath in the body. And for everybody else, if you've been struggling with sin, welcome to the club. Because we all struggle with life's struggles from time to time. But God says, he who puts his hand to the plow, and I'm doing the flip side now, and continues looking forward, though he stumbles, he's able to get back up. Though she falls, she's able to get back up. God says, don't look back. See, I won't look back. Thomas, lead us in that song really softly, really softly. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of Sing it softly. Sing it softly. Softly. Father, we come before your throne of grace, mercy, and love. Just, just giving you thanks and giving you praise for the great God that you are. We come in the full knowledge that by ourselves we, we are nothing. By ourselves we are unworthy by ourselves our righteousness is 
is equal to filthy rags. But because of the love that you had for us, you were willing to send your son, your only son, so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So we pray together as a family that you would strengthen us, that you would wrap your, your hands around us, that you would keep us from the wicked one. We know that we have a job to do in this, in this world before we are taken to the home that was promised to us. And so knowing that, we expect to encounter trials. Knowing that, we expect to encounter difficulties. We only pray, ask, and trust that we do so fully devoted and committed to you. For those who have been struggling with sin, with shame, with guilt, and even with pride, I just pray that you forgive us from our sins. And help us to, to have a mentality that says, in spite of our weakness and in spite of ourselves, we will continue to look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we commend ourselves, we commit ourselves, we recommit ourselves to you and knowing that it's, it's only by following your way, the way that you have prescribed, will we be profitable as your disciples. And as individuals who have been called to lead people from a lost and dying world into your wonderful embrace. Father, we thank you for the victory and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We know that it's not promised that we would have physical things in this life. For Jesus would have said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So we know that becoming a disciple of you doesn't mean that we will have monetary gain. But we follow you because we know that you have a home beyond this place. You have an eternal abode for us, a place that we will dwell with you for eternity. So God, we pray in this moment together. We pray in this moment for each other. That you would strengthen us, that we would no longer find ourselves fixated on the things of this life. But that we would use the things that we have gone through. We, have, we would use our past experiences as a tool of learning. And we would not find ourselves living there, but that we would live continuously for you. So help us to never look back. Help us to not live in the past. But help us to live right now for you and only you. 